Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to First City Church and our online worship service. My name is Rick. If you have not heard by now, my wife Suzanne and I tested positive for COVID, and so we're having to quarantine, and that's why we don't have a, a live worship service today. I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed in it. We went to a rapid testing facility in Orange Beach, and they gave us the news back quickly. We had been exposed to it, and we were glad that we were able to get our uh, the news so quickly. But then because I was around the staff, they also have to take precautions. And, and so if, if they can't be there to lead worship and Taryn can't be there to do announcements and I can't be there to preach, I am so sorry. But now we're having to, for at least for the next three weeks, uh, come to you with our online worship services. Thank you for joining us. And I ask that you, you know, continue to pray for us and others who are affected by this horrible disease. I'm really grateful that so far nobody else on our staff uh, has uh, tested positive. They've all gone to get tests to make sure that we're keeping people as safe as possible. You continue to stay safe as possible. And thank you for joining us today. We're in this series called Can We Talk? And we started it last week where we said, okay, God's vision for the world is that, that we be unified. And he said, Jesus came so that he could unite people from every race and every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And he purchased us with his blood. He died on the cross so that we could all be unified. In fact, when Jesus gave his last prayer before he went to the cross, he said, Father, I pray that, that the disciples can all be one, can all be unified, so unified that the world will see that you sent me. And then in Revelation chapter seven, John has this vision of heaven and he looked around and he was so struck by the fact that he said, I saw so many people, I couldn't even count them. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every language, all assembled there before God. And he said, it was such a wonderful thing to watch all these people worship God in all their own tongues and in all their languages. And he said, it was so beautiful, right? And so we know that that's the way heaven is. And Jesus said, my prayer is that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we started talking about the racism that we see or the social injustice or the hidden biases or prejudices that we see in our nation. And people are asking, where, where do we get involved? What, what I see on the streets, is that how we go about bringing social justice? Is there a better way to unify? Does it have to be so violent? What do we do? What do we say? And so today we're going to look at God's blueprint for healing and unity. And I got to tell you, it's not the easiest of messages. It might not even be a popular message based on what you hear or what you see going on in our nation. But today, what I want to give you is God's blueprint. What he said has to be done if we're going to win the world you know, with unity, with love, and bring healing in our nation. And so go ahead and open up your books, uh, your Bibles to the book of Micah. We're going to be in chapter six here in just a minute. And so there are basically three different positions that people take when it comes to oppression and people who are oppressed. The first one is there are those who oppress others. And so there are people who are in power and they want to keep their power. They want to keep their 
luxurious lifestyle. And so they create laws or they make ways so that they can keep their power, even if it means oppressing other people. And so we know in our nation and in our history, there has been people who oppressed others for their own power, their own political gain, their own ability to uh, get rich or have land. And so we know there are those who have oppressed. Now, man, God's message to these people is very clear. He said this, for anyone who would wound and hurt even the least of these of mine, it will be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you be dropped to the bottom of the ocean than to have to face me on the day of judgment. He is so strong here. You do not wound the least of these of mine. You do not hurt or oppress other people or I, my eye is on you and I am going to make sure that you do not get away with wrongdoing, right? And he's very strong in that. And then the message for people who are oppressed. To me, this is one of the hardest messages in all of scripture. But when I look at what did God say, do I have the right to seek revenge? Do I have the right to return an eye for an hour, a tooth for a tooth? Do I have the right to do whatever I want to be aggressive so that it stops the oppression on me? And in the Old Testament, God showed that does not work. And so in the New Testament, you remember what he said? You love your enemies. You do good to those who despitefully use you. You, you do not return insult for insult or injury for injury, but you return a blessing. To this you have been called so that you will receive a blessing. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so he says, you stand still, be silent, and let God work for you. And that's a hard message for people who are being oppressed. For, in fact, Jesus led the way in this. Remember, people said, you're a drunkard and you're a glutton and you're a friend of sinners. And he never tried to defend himself. People tried to stone him and he just walked through the middle of them quietly. And the Bible says he was led as a lamb before the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth, right? And so when people wanted to come at Jesus, he didn't spend any time defending himself. However, when people tried to take advantage of the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, those who did not have, he really spent his energy defending them. He ate at their house. He upheld them. He talked to people who were oppressing them, telling them that they were brood of vipers and they were acting like snakes. And he said, God is gonna remove you from power. When the money changers weighed the scales in a different direction so that it continued to take advantage of the poor, Jesus overturned the money tables and said, you will not turn my father's house into a den of thieves. And so when you look at those who oppress others, it may be what, 10% of people who actually are in that kind of power to do that. When you look at those who are being oppressed, you may say 30% or more of people who are actively being oppressed or feel like they're being oppressed. But then this 60%, 50, 60% of people in the middle, I am not 
oppressing others and I don't feel like I'm being oppressed. What is my role? The Word of God spends a lot of time and energy trying to get us to get involved, to defend the weak, to help the homeless and the poor, to straighten the path of those who are oppressed, and to hold people accountable to those who weigh burdens down on them. And this is the message of the Lord, and so I want to show it to you out of the book of Micah. Now, Micah was a small-town prophet, and he witnessed a lot of social injustice. In fact, if you're reading through the book of Micah, he just tells you what's going on with all these different groups of people, from those doing the oppression, even the ones being oppressed were not acting right. And so he said to the rich, you get richer through extortion and violence. You twist things and get your own way just because you think that you can get away with it. To the merchants, the businessmen and businesswomen, you have tipped the scales so that they weigh in your favor. You're taking advantage in an unfair way of people who were oppressed or who are poor. To judges, he said, you're making judgments and, and you sell your judgments for a bribe. If people will put a little money in your pocket, you'll pass whatever judgment you have to pass. And so he says to the prophets and priests, those who are supposed to speak for God, he said, you guys are saying whatever people will pay to hear. They don't want to feel bad. They don't want to be convicted for their sin. So they give you a little bit of money and you say things to make them feel good, not because it's what is truth. To lawmakers, he said, you are passing laws so that you can continue to live in luxury and preserve your own power. And then to the oppressed, those who really were being wounded, he said, you too constantly lie to get away and justify wrongdoing. And so nobody was doing right. Now pause for a second. Do you see any of this being played out in America today? Do we see where laws are being passed that are not fair to everyone? Do we see scales that are tipped in the, in the favor of people who are in business who take advantage or who create scams to take advantage of people? Do we see people constantly doing selfish things, even making sure that they're not telling the truth so that they can get away with wrongdoing? It's like everybody is doing their own thing, going their own way. And what God says is the whole system is going to fail and all of you are going to come to ruin. And so by the time you get to chapter six, God brings them into court. And he says, we're just going to come to court and I'm bringing you to court. It's going to be me versus the people of Israel. And I'm going to bring in a jury, some people who are witnesses. And look at what he said. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise and plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case against his people even with Israel, he will dispute. What he's saying is, when you thought you were doing all your evil deeds in secret, the mountains and the hills were watching. And when you took these people and murdered them for your own good and you buried them in the hills, their blood is crying out from the ground. And the mountains and the hills saw what you were doing. And God's like, I'm bringing them in as witnesses. You are not getting away with any wrongdoing. 
And then he says, don't you know how much I loved you and cared for you? My people, what have I done? How have I wearied you? Have I been so hard on you? Have I weighed so many laws on you? It's been a burden to you. Have I not set you free? Didn't I bring you up from the land of Egypt and ransom you from the house of slavery? Don't you remember when you were the ones being oppressed? When they killed your sons and took away your daughters and made you work double shifts and didn't pay you and didn't give you food to eat and didn't give you rest and it was wearing you out and you cried out to me and didn't I ransom you? Didn't I, didn't I run after you and free you? And Moses and Aaron and Miriam, they put their lives on hold so that they could come and rescue you. They didn't have to, but they did. And God said, I used it and we ran after you and your life was transformed. And if that wasn't enough, anytime you had scary moments, I was there to rescue you. Do you remember when Balak, king of Moab, brought in Balaam. The Moab army surrounded the Israelites and he brought in Balaam. He said, hey, Balaam, I know that you're a prophet. Whoever you bless, God will bless. Whoever you curse, God will curse. And I want you to bless our Moab army and I want to destroy the Israelites. But God said, I caused Balaam to bless you and to curse Moab and you won a great victory. Every time you cry out to me, I rescue you. And do you remember from Shittim to Gilgal so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord? This was the moment when their life was really transformed. They came up out of Egyptian slavery. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years right down here below the Dead Sea. They came up over here east and, and they camped at Shittim. And as they were there, two million strong, they were crying out to God, God, we can't do it. We're slaves. We're not warriors. We, we, we don't want to go. We want to go back and just be slaves. Just leave us alone. And God said, you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he took the Ark of the Covenant and those priests walked. And by the time they got to the Jordan River, and this was less than a 10 mile walk, this happened in one day where they went from being slaves, they crossed over and when their feet hit the Jordan River, the waters backed away and two million Israelites walked through there on dry land and they saw this overwhelming miracle. And by the time they camped at Gilgal and they watched the walls of Jericho fall, they knew they were the mighty army of the Lord and their life was transformed. And God's like, don't you remember when I transformed your life, when you didn't feel like you were worth anything or very good and how I rescued you? And now you want to take your privilege. You want to take your freedom and oppress other people and feel justified by it. And God's like, it's not right. And I'm calling you in and telling you it's wrong. Now, when the people responded, you're going to hear some sarcasm in their voice. They're, it's almost like they know they're wrong and, and they don't really care. And look at, look at how they talked to God. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Oh, you're so holy, God. And how should I come and worship you? Shall I come with burnt offerings? 
With yearly calves shall I just worship all the time? Should I bring these young, innocent calves and kill them just so that you can be satisfied? And look at how absurd it gets. Will you delight in, you know, in the sacrifice of the thousands of rams? See, they didn't even have thousands of rams. This is not even something they could have done. Look at how it even gets more absurd. What about 10,000 rivers of oil? They didn't have that kind of oil. It's not even something they could do. And then they threw this back in God's face. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, are you going to treat us the way you did those Egyptians back when you freed us from Egyptian slavery? Do you hear how, do you hear the sarcasm in their voice? Do you hear them saying, God, what do you want from me? right? It's almost like they don't want to be held accountable. And God just calmly says, if you want your nation to be different, if you want to be blessed by me, if you want to see things happening very different than what you see played out on the streets right now, here are three actions, three things that I require. Here's my blueprint, Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Oh man, this is what is good. This is what the Lord requires. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So do justice. This act justly. You must fight for social justice. What is fair for everybody. And they knew exactly what he was talking about because the law was clear. And then your approach has to be with kindness. It's not an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. You're not to tear down statues and go burn everything in your nation up. It's not with violence. It's with kindness or it's not of me. And then he says, and this is the difficult one, you walk humbly with God. Even if you suffer, you personally walk humble with God. You don't defend yourself, but you run hard to defend other people. So let me show it to you. When he talked about doing justice, there were three things that the law said that they knew were very clear with what God meant when he said do justice. The first one was this. There must be fair treatment in the courts for all people. Fair reporting systems. Don't be a malicious witness. Don't side with the rich people. Don't pervert justice. There were all kind of laws as it related to making sure that everyone is treated fairly in the courts. And so is that true in our nation? Is everyone treated fairly? Is it true that the more money you have, the more justice you can buy? And that those who do not have suffer? If that's true, then what God says is that is not right and I want you to fight for fair treatment in the courts for all people. And so we begin to evaluate, am I doing that? And then he gave two others. The second one was, you don't take advantage of the poor. You know, you don't pervert justice and, and take advantage of those poor or the innocent or the righteous. You know, we're really lucky in America, blessed, because Christians all over the world are the ones being persecuted. The righteous ones are being killed. You know, they're living in the name of Jesus and they're suffering for it. But in our nation, it really is more to do with people who are poor. And God's like, I don't want that at all. And I'm expecting that remember those of you in the middle, you're not doing the oppressing and you're not the ones being oppressed. You're that powerful group in the middle that in the name of Jesus can go and make a difference 
in your nation and make sure that poor are not taken advantage of. And the third group, he said, there needs to be special considerations for widows and orphans, for the vulnerable sojourners coming through the land, those children. Look at what he said. I mean, it's like, don't take advantage of those who are, who are weak and are hurting. Don't strip away the things that God wanted for these people. And by the way, I just pause for a second. I am so proud that First City Church is involved in this foster care lift ministry where we're really running after people who have been wounded and abandoned, these children who have no place to sleep if somebody doesn't rescue and run after them. And God has really blessed us, not because we deserve his blessing, but he's really blessed that ministry and a lot of children. And man, I continue praying that God will increase our influence more and more in that effort. But these are the three things that God meant when he said, I want you to act justly. Make sure that your courts are fair for everybody, that poor people aren't taken advantage of and widows and orphans aren't abandoned and that we're running after them. And then how are we to do that, God? Well, we're to love kindness. Love kindness. Love fairness. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He's like, it's, it's kindness that's going to turn the day. It's not violence. It's not throwing things. It's not shooting. It's not wounding. It's not tearing your nation apart to destroying everything to get what you want. He's like, it's the kindness of God. Look at what he said in Romans. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin. God gave us the Old Testament to show that all that violence is not the way to, to real life. It, everybody loses in that. And so in the New Testament, he changed it. Love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Return good for evil. Let kindness reign. Love will win the day. And then finally, Walk humbly with God. And he said, Jesus is your example in this. But walking humbly means that, that, that you don't defend yourself, but you defend those others who are being oppressed. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take the interests of others too. And he said, Jesus is our example. Have this same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being and went to the cross to die so that we could be set free. Right? And so he's like, I, 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 I don't want you to defend yourself. Remember, Jesus didn't defend himself. You're a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. And he didn't try to defend himself. But he would go over and eat with Matthew even if they criticized him. He would sit with prostitutes and sinners and he told the Pharisees, you know, these people will get into heaven before you because you are not treating them right. He was led as a lamb before the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. When it comes to defending ourselves, and this is the hardest thing to do, we don't spend any energy doing that. But when all of those money changers were taking advantage of the poor people, 
Jesus went in and overturned their tables and said, you will not turn my father's house into a den of thieves. He knew to fight for people who are being oppressed. That's what he's calling us to do. When it comes to me, I don't spend my time trying to wound others, fight against others, or want to do them harm. That's not the way of the Lord. I walk humbly with God. But when I see someone else being oppressed, I want to run in and try to help them. So here are the three things. To do justice means that we fight for social justice. We get involved. We hold people accountable. And we try to change things so that it's fair for everyone. And we do it with kindness. We treat everyone kindly, not with vengeance, not with war. And we walk humbly with God. We all willingly submit. And we don't try to defend ourselves. But we do spend our energy trying to defend those who are being oppressed. Now, how do we do that? Well, we have an approach that we use really with our lift ministry, a three-step approach. This is what we do. The first thing we want to do is sit down and listen to other people, and then we do some research, and then we take an action. So when we first got involved in the foster care ministry, we, we, we spent time with organizations who were doing it, other churches, listening in the city, where are the gaps, where are the bottlenecks, what, what's not getting done, how can we help, where do we insert ourselves? And after listening to everyone, you know, then we started doing some research. And out of that research, we found a place where we needed to get involved and where we could have the biggest impact. And then we took a step. We took action and we got involved. And man, God bless you for those of you who are really helping. Now we want to do the same thing with social justice. We want to say, okay, and there may be a group of you that God's going to call together where we come and we sit down and we just have intentional conversations with people all over our city and we find out where are the community problems. And then we'll do some research. Uh, what are really good solutions? Who do we need to partner with in order to make this happen? Who really carries authority so that we can act and make a difference in our community? And so we've already started some of these conversations. And so if you're interested in that, let me know or let Teddy Hart know or some of the ones who are on our team who are really helping us in this initiative and you can email the church and we can get you in touch with those people. But we first wanna start by just praying and listening and then we'll do some research and figure out, God, what is it that you're calling us to do so that we can act justly with kindness and with humility, making a difference in our world. You know, we start our 21 days of prayer next week, and I want to ask you to join us in that. And we're going to break down Micah 6, 8 into those three weeks, and we're just going to be praying over how can we do that in our church, in our lives, and for our community. Man, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Can I pray with you as we all begin to think about how we can take a step in doing this God's blueprint in our community? Lord God, I pray, first of all, that we give you our whole hearts. I'm praying for those who are listening to this message and they've not given their whole heart to God, they've not given themselves completely to you, that they do that today, that they become a Christian, that they're baptized to wash away all their sins and stand clean before you, God, free, whole, ready, and alive to serve you with their lives and to, and to have a greater purpose for their existence. And Lord God, I pray that as you bring us together as a body, as we begin listening and researching, praying through what is it you want us to do in our community 
so that those who are oppressed can be set free in the name of Jesus. Lead us in that direction. Show us what you want done. And thank you for the opportunity to join you in that effort. In Jesus' name, amen.